and I preach, I go through a passage, we get to the end, and I ask a question. Do you remember what the question is? So what? What of it? What am I supposed to do with this? What difference is this supposed to make? And, and I think that that's very, very valuable. Anytime that you approach Scripture, you should be expecting God to do something with it. You should expect him to change you in some way. Maybe it's, it's just increase your faith, increase your reliance on him, increase your dependence on him. But maybe it's take something that you're doing and open your eyes and say, you know what, I'm not handling this right. I'm not doing this the way that God wants me to. I need to change. And sometimes that's very drastic, and sometimes it's very subtle. Now, that's between you and the Lord. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you each time what that is or how that is. But as we begin this section, I'm actually going to put one of the major so what's right up front. And we're going to take a look at that, and then we're going to dig in. Because I want you to be aware that, that there's a lot going on in this passage, and a lot that expects something from us. We, we don't read the Bible just for the sake of it so that we get lots of good head knowledge and we can be really smart and we can answer all the Bible trivia questions. We read it out of devotion to the author of it, to God himself, out of a desire to know him, to build our relationship with him, to become more like him. And that is really what this first so what is all about. What is your focus? What is your purpose? Let me, let me drill it down even further. Why are you in Lapine? Why are you here? I hear a couple of chuckles and, and a little bit of, well, what, how am I supposed to answer that? Well, I, I understand. We, we sometimes think about, you know, the, the main purpose of mankind is to glorify God. That's why he created us. That's what we're, we exist. Just across the board, people exist to bring glory to God. But you specifically, why are you in Lapine? Why are you here? I would contest because this is where God puts you, and he has a mission for you, a job for you, something that he expects you to do. And that's not something that, okay, every now and then I might do what it is that God has for me, but that it's supposed to be a constant, continuous, you are always about the work of the Lord. You are always doing what it is that God brought you here for. If you say, well, I'm in Lapine so that I can make money, there are probably better places to do that, for one thing. Nothing against Lapine, but... And that is completely ignoring the reason that God put you here. If you say, well, I'm here because this is where, where I've always been, this is where my family's from, and I'm, I'm just used to being here... That's still not a great reason. So as we go through, as we begin looking at just these first few verses, I want to challenge you, why are you here? What is your purpose? Why did God put you here? If you are a follower of Christ, that that idea of following is one that's going to come up again in this passage. It's ones that we've looked at, and it's, it's normal. It's been thrown out a lot. But if you are a follower of Christ, the idea is that you are an emulator, you are a copier, that you do the same things that he did. You walk in his steps, you follow him, you do what Christ did. So as we dig into uh, Mark chapter 2, starting off in verse 13 through 22, what is it that Jesus did, and thus, what is it that we are expected to do? Why are we where we are? What is, our, what is our job? What is our mission? I'm going to go ahead and read, uh, like I said, Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. Then we'll go back and start digging into it. starts off, And he went out again by the seashore, and all the multitude were coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And it came about that he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax gatherers and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. And when the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and the tax gatherers, they began saying to his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax gatherers and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, 
It is not for those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and they came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, While the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom do not fast, do they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the patch pulls away from it, and the new, the new from the old, and the worse the tear results. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. Now, We've been going through, we've made it through a little bit more than a chapter of Mark so far. If you remember back in verse 14 and 15 of chapter 1, what did Mark say was Jesus' focus, his purpose, his reason for being in Galilee? To teach, okay? What specifically was he teaching? Okay. Okay, the gospel... Repent and believe. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The good news that he was bringing. That's what Mark says was his reason, his focus, his purpose for being in Galilee. Well, what did Jesus say was his focus according to chapter 1 verse 38? To preach. To teach, to let it be known, to spread the gospel, to proclaim. That's what that, that word preach is, to proclaim exactly what Mark had said. Well, last week, what was Jesus doing? Anybody remember? And what was he doing? Verse 2 of chapter 2. Do what? Teaching. He was, he was speaking the word to them. He was teaching. So, with that in mind, what do we expect to see Jesus doing? Teaching. His reason for being there was to preach, to teach, to proclaim the good news. We've seen it happen and we're about to dig into this passage as well. Now, there's, there's an interesting thing that's, that's going on. I know several of you are, are working with some of the Greek language and trying to learn it and understand it and being able to, to dig in a little bit yourself. And, and Jack has been very helpful with that. He has a, a handout that helps some of the times. And you start digging in, and you're going to find out that there's a, a word used here that shows the exact same thing that we just looked at, and that that's... It's uh, called an imperfect verb. It, the idea is a continual, repeated action. So when we start off here, it says, He went out again by the seaside, and all the multitude were coming to him. They continued to come. They were coming yet again, over and over. That's constant. And he was teaching them. It's not that he did this once, or twice, or on occasion, or, or rarely, but that's his constant action. He is Always, no matter where he's at, no matter what he's doing, his goal, his desire, his purpose in Galilee was to teach, was to proclaim the good news, the gospel, was to let it be known what the Old Testament said, that, that was the Bible, and what they were supposed to understand from the word. Now, let's go back to that so what that I started off with. If we are to be followers of Christ, if we're to emulate him, if we're to copy him, what should our purpose for being in Lapine be? To teach, to preach the word, to let it be known who God is. There's, there's a lot of other things that go on. And, and as you go through and as you read through the accounts of what Jesus is doing, you're going to see him doing all kinds of different activities. He's going to go have meals at places. He's going to interact with different folks. He's going to do different things. He'll be on boats sometimes. He'll be walking sometimes. He'll be doing all of this stuff. 
But throughout all of that, his goal, his purpose, his focus was to teach. And that's what he did every single time. As you go through, you're going to find that was his normal, constant thing. To teach, to preach, to proclaim the good news of God. Now, as he does that, you'll also notice that he begins to gather disciples. Okay? And, and so if we are to be emulators of Christ, if we are to copy him and do like he does, we ought to make disciples as well. Well, in fact, not only are we recommended to do that, we're flat out commanded to do that. Matthew 28 says quite blatantly, make disciples. So that's what we are supposed to be doing. So when I ask the question, why are you in Lapine? What is, what is your purpose here? It should be to teach and to preach and to make disciples. Now, now by preach, I don't necessarily mean get up in front of a congregation and, and preach, but to proclaim, to make known the gospel. That's why we're here. That's what we are about. And that is what Jesus was constantly doing. You've, we've seen it a few times already. We're going to continue to see it. The, the way that this is phrased is such that it makes an emphasis and it wants us to know each time we have one of these episodes and these different things going on, Mark kind of inserts this idea that Jesus was teaching. That's what he was doing. Even though we see the miracles, even though we see the healings, even though we see the casting out of demons throughout all of it, he's doing it as part of his teaching. That's his goal. That's his focus is to teach. And so during one of those events, one of those times in which he was teaching, we get to verse 14. And it says, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax office and said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. So they were, they were out and about in Galilee. It, in verse 13 specifies that he was by the seashore. And he's walking along and he comes across this individual by the name of Levi. Now let me ask you, how many times have you been out and about doing hopefully what you're supposed to be doing, what God designed you for, what God intends you to do of sharing the gospel, living for him, telling others about Christ, and you come across somebody, and you just start interacting with them. I'll admit I'm not, as, I'm not perfect at this. I'm not as good at this as I want to be. So bear in mind, I'm not trying to get after you. I'm, I'm talking to myself as well. But is that our normal operation? Now, we need to notice a few things about this individual by the name of Levi, son of Alphaeus. Um, who, who is he? Why, why is he focused on? You know, I've, I've mentioned before, when I read a passage, I like to ask lots of questions about it. And then oftentimes, as you dig through, you can find the answers to those questions in the text directly. Sometimes you've got to, to expand a little bit beyond just that one section. But understanding... You know, the answers to some of those is, is quite often easily found. So why are, we, why are we looking at this guy by the name of Levi? Well, a couple of the reasons that came up is um, I mentioned last week that Mark is highlighting several events in which Jesus and the religious leaders kind of get into arguments and discussions. And so this is going to set the stage for one of those. That, that's part of it. Um, that's one reason that he's, he's highlighted here is because it, it gives us the example of this interaction between Jesus and the, the Pharisees, uh, Jesus and the religious leaders. But another is because this individual ends up being one of the core 12 disciples, one of the apostles that God sends out as his messenger in the New Testament. We read here that his name is Levi. In Matthew, the same account, the same story is given, and is, he's listed as Matthew. Um, and so, you know, it, it's a different name, probably like a first name, last name type of a situation. Um, but it's that same individual. So this is going to be one of Jesus' 12 disciples, one of his close followers. And so it gives his salvation account of when he begins to follow Christ. Um, but I think that the, the third reason that this one's focused on is it gives us more of a picture of the heart and attitude of who Christ is and what he's doing. Let's take a look at, at Levi. Also, like I said, also identified as Matthew in the parallel account in Matthew chapter 9, if you want to look at that one. Um, who, is, who is this? Well, it looks like he also has a relative, maybe a brother by the name of James, who's also listed as the son of Alphaeus in Mark 
chapter 3, verse 18. Um, from the name, we get the idea that maybe he could have been from a Levite-type family, um, you know, set apart as one of the Levites to serve God. We don't know that for sure, but it's, it's odd that he would be referred to as Levi if he's not a Levite. And if that's the case, it really emphasizes the, the uh, drastic nature of what's about to occur in this. Um, so that, that is a possibility. But let me ask you, how many of you love the IRS? I'm going to take that as not many. How many of you love to pay taxes? You look forward to it every year? Well, we, we need to understand a little bit about the, the tax system that was in place at that time. It's a little bit different than what we're used to. Most of us, when you get your paycheck, they've already taken out the, the taxes, and at the end of the year, you file to get some of that back. It varies from individual to individual. Others, they have to keep records and, and keep track in every quarter if they own their own business or annually or whenever. They have to send in certain amounts. That's, that's a little bit different than what happened in this context, in this setting. With, with these tax collectors, think more along the lines of a toll booth. Okay? When, you're, when you're traveling along, let's say that you were a fisherman out on the Sea of Galilee and you brought in your catch and you, you load it all up, and you're getting ready to take it off of the, the shore and up to the markets. Well, on the way, you go by this tax collector, the, the tax booth or the toll booth. And they take a look at it and say, okay, the value of or the number of fish or whatever means the, the Roman government had established, okay, they have to pay X percent of tax, whatever that was. Or maybe it's per load, maybe it's per person. We don't know necessarily. The, the Roman government liked to, to set their own taxes, but also the local government set their own taxes. And so, okay, they get their load of fish, and they're walking away from the boats, and they come to the, the toll booth. And the toll collector, the tax collector, looks at it and is like, okay, you owe X amount. Now, here's the thing. The tax collector could make up whatever number they wanted, as long as Rome got their cut and the local government got their cut, what happened with the rest? Went in their pocket. So the way that these tax collectors made money was by collecting an extra amount. Now, <clears throat> there's a lot of history. There's a lot of stuff that goes on. Let's just say that the, um, the system was prone to corruption. And as a result, tax collectors were not a well-favored group. Uh, people didn't like them. It went so far to the, to the point that the, the Jewish teachers, the scribes, we've talked about them a little bit, the Pharisees, they had this block of teaching about how they explained how to follow the Old Testament. The Old Testament, the, the law was called the Torah, but then they had what they called the Mishnah, and it was the explanation of the Torah. And the way that we would refer to it as the oral traditions, the way that they were to follow that. And in that, we find out that this system was so corrupt and so despised that when a tax collector wanted to bring an offering, they were not allowed, the, the religious leaders were not allowed to accept that offering because they thought that it was illegally gained. That, it, that that money was dirty, that it was unclean and could not be received. They, they despised the tax collectors so much that they taught that they weren't even supposed to accept it as an offering for the use in the temple or the use in religious ceremonies. It could be given to the poor. There were some things that could be done with it, but it was unclean and not fit for religious purposes. They even went so far as to say that you could lie to the tax officer, that as, as you came up, if they just asked how many fish you got, you could tell them a lie, a dishonest amount. And they, they couched it in their, in their practices. And, and in essence, we, we see other times when Jesus gives specific examples. In essence, they could make up whatever number they wanted and just say that the rest was set aside as for God because the, the tax collectors were going to steal from them anyway. And so this was all allowed. Now, bear in mind, I am not recommending that you lie on your taxes. I do not think that that's a good idea. In fact, in Matthew 22, Jesus is going to address that. He's going to deal with that and tell his disciples, yes, you pay your taxes, you do what you're supposed to do. So don't get the wrong idea. What I'm saying is, in their society, in their culture, tax collectors 
they, they weren't just, you know, we don't care for the IRS. We don't care to pay taxes. But in their society, they were the scum of the earth. They were despised. They were corrupt. They were hated. Even the, the money that they would get was so questionable as to where it came from that they were rejected entirely. Yes, sir? Uh, you know, pretty much. Some, some might even liken them to politicians today. I don't know. I'm just saying that these people were not well-favored. So, when, when we understand that, when we keep that in mind, what just happened back in verse 14? Jesus is walking along the seashore. Now, he probably wasn't fishing, which means he probably didn't have to pay much of a tax. But, he goes up to this place, to the tax office, and finds Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting there. And what does Jesus say? Follow me. Knowing what you know about the culture and the situation and what's going on, that should blow your mind. Because in, in their society, they were encouraged to ignore these people. But Jesus spoke to him. They were encouraged to lie to these people, but Jesus gave him the truth. They were encouraged to avoid them at all costs, to as, as great an extent as they possibly could. Jesus not only intentionally went to him, but we're going to find out in a moment, he went to have lunch with them, went to have a, a meal to dine with them. Society said, get as far away from these people as you possibly can. Jesus took one of these men made him part of his select group, his, his close 12 disciples. You ought to think about that for a moment. Just, just that in and of itself, nothing else going on ought to blow your mind as you understand who Christ is and what he does and how he interacts and how he completely flips the script from what the religious leaders did to what he did. Now, obviously, this is going to raise some questions. This is going to, going to you know, throw people off, and they're, they're not real sure what to do with this. Now, last week, with the, the questions that they asked and, and that were brought up, I kind of defended the, the scribes a little bit. And I said, you know, let's, let's not be too hasty to attack them. Um, it, was, it was valid to ask a question. If, if somebody steps up and claims to do what only God can do, and thus puts themselves in the position as God, it makes sense that we ought to start asking some questions. So I, I kind of defend the scribes when they were asking that one. Like, why, why are you saying that his sins are forgiven when only God can do that? That makes sense. Well, in this one, we're going to find them asking some other questions that just kind of give us an understanding that they don't really understand the heart of God. They don't really comprehend who Jesus is or what he's about or what his reasons are or really even who the God of the Old Testament is. And that's what they were supposed to be experts in, and yet they didn't understand it. Let's see what happens. Starting off in verse 15. It came about that he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. So what's the setting? What's, what's going on here? He has just called Levi to follow him. Levi was a tax collector. Tax collectors were very corrupt and as a result had a tendency to be very wealthy. They had lots of financial ability. This phrase, um, it came about that he was reclining at table, doesn't just mean, okay, they, they went and they had a meal together. This gives the picture and the idea of a banquet, of a big shindig that, that Matthew is putting on. And not only is Jesus and his disciples there, but it says that many others, many tax collectors and sinners were dining with them. So this is expanded from just that, that one individual tax collector that Jesus happened to call. But, but what do we see? We see a lot of people, his, his fellow tax collectors, who would also be considered scum and not worth spending time with. But who else? says sinners. Now, this is, is a very broad term, and the idea is those who 
just live without respect towards religion type of an idea. You, you could say atheists. You could say um, those who have walked away from the faith. You could insert a lot of different ideas here. But the, the point is the ones who make it their normal mode and practice not to follow the law, not to follow God's commands, not to try and live a holy life, but instead just say, you know what, I'm going to do whatever I want to. I'm going to live my way. I'm going to live however I want, do whatever I want. They sin. They miss the mark. They fail to follow God's command. They're not doing what God expects of them, what God desires of them. And so this is, a, like I said, a very broad group. We're going to see in other places all kinds of different people lumped into that category. But these are the ones that Levi would associate with. These are his normal friends, his cohort, his buddies. This is who Levi would be around. So I, I think we need to notice something. Jesus is walking along the, the seashore. He comes up to the tax booth. He says to Levi, follow me. And verse 14, he rose and followed him. If we were to look at the, the same account um, in the book of Luke, we find that he leaves everything. Now that, that's commitment. That's a big deal. This guy was, had a well-paying job, a good situation. Apparently he had lots of friends, and yet he walks away from all of it to follow Christ. But then we see him do something, something that's, that's extraordinary. He holds a banquet. He gives a feast for Jesus. But who else does he invite? Everybody else. So let's go back to that initial question that I asked you. What is your purpose in Lapine? Why are you here? Let me, let me ask a slightly different version. When was the last time that you had unbelievers... To your house or in some way shared with them in some way gave them the time of day when was the last time that you had an opportunity to share your faith with someone in a in a close setting not just I, mean, I know we talk about a little bit when you're out in the in the grocery store and you're happening across maybe give somebody a track do something like that but in this situation Matthew has been radically changed and the first thing that he does is invites all of his friends, says, hey, I want you to meet Jesus. When's the last time that you did something like that? We don't have any idea how much this cost him, but I'm going to guess quite a bit. To throw a banquet is pricey, and to walk away from a lucrative career so that you can follow a teacher pretty expensive. And yet, that's the impact. That's the change that we see happen in the life of Matthew Levi. So Levi invites Jesus and his disciples, and they were eating. Uh, they were having this meal. They were relaxed, reclining at table. Verse 16, and when the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they began saying to his disciples, why is eating and drinking with tax collectors or tax gatherers and sinners? I think it's interesting that the first person, people that they go to to ask this question is Jesus' disciples. They don't ask Jesus, they ask his disciples. Why do you think that that might be? Just ponder on it for a moment. Yes. Okay, trying to, get, trying to get his disciples to, to give the answer, maybe. Okay, any other ideas, reasons? They might have been intimidated to approach Jesus directly. Okay, possible. I, I think something a little bit more nefarious is going on here. I think, and this is just Isaac's thought on this, but I suspect that they go to his disciples to try and, and separate them from Jesus and try and get them to realize, oh, wait a minute, he's not following our traditions. He's not doing things our ways. So you, you really think you ought to be following that? I mean, someone who, who associates with such un, unpleasantness? Surely, if, if you want to follow God and do the right thing, you wouldn't follow, follow him, would you? I, I'm not positive of, of how they would phrase it or, 
or exactly, but I, I get the impression that they go to the disciples initially to, to try and separate them away from Christ and to, to drive a wedge in there so that they're not following him. But Jesus hears it. And so Jesus responds in verse 17. And he asks them a very simple question. Is it that not those who are healthy who need a physician? Makes sense, right? I mean, it, it's a normal type question. In fact, it appears that this is a regular proverb that they, would, that they would say. It's a normal idea that someone who's sick is the one who needs the, the doctor, not someone who's well. Makes perfect sense. Well, Jesus doesn't just leave it with this, this known proverb. He goes on to express um, those, yeah, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus makes it very clear why he's there, what his purpose, what his goal is. And he's, he's not necessarily answering the Pharisees and the, the scribes and saying, oh yeah, you're, you're all righteous, you're good, you're holy. He's, he's not affirming them, but he is setting up this, this comparison or this example in which he says, hey, the ones who need help, the ones who need the doctor, the ones who need the healing and the forgiveness, that's the sinner's. Not the ones who are already perfect. That's why I'm here. That's what my purpose is. But you'll notice Jesus knows exactly who he's with. There's no question. There's no doubt. He's not, oh, oh, I didn't realize I was eating with, with those people. No, he knew exactly what he was doing. And he knew why he was doing it. Because his reason, his purpose, his goal was to share the gospel. To share the good news of who God was. And, and we already looked at it back before. What he was saying back in chapter 1, verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's what he's been doing. That's what he continues to do. That's what he's going to do. And that's what he's encouraging of these sinners, these tax collectors. He knows that they're not right with God. They know that they're not right with God. But... What we, have, what, we, what we see happening back in um, verse 15 is at least some of them began to follow him. They were starting to come along and come around to this new idea that Jesus was presenting to them. Uh, we'll go back and read verse 15. It came about that he was reclining at table in, in his, in Levi's house. Many of the tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. Somehow, when Levi hears the truth from Jesus, he goes and he tells all his friends, and they gather together, and it makes a difference. It makes an impact. And I, I don't necessarily know, do all of these guys get saved right then or what? Um, the analogy that I came up with is, it's like they started going to church. Just because they go to church doesn't mean that they're saved. We understand that, right? Just because they, they associated with Jesus and were following him doesn't mean that they were saved, but they're definitely a change is happening. And they are, they are starting to follow him to go his way. And so Jesus is fulfilling exactly why he was there, exactly what his purpose was in calling sinners to repent, to believe the gospel, to follow Christ, to follow God, to do what he wanted. That was the whole reason that he was there. Now, this, this group, the Pharisees, came up, and uh, we need to, to understand just a little bit about who they are and what's going on with them. Who, who, did anybody do a little bit of research and find out who the Pharisees are? Nope. Okay. So the Pharisees were a group that had started um, a few hundred years earlier. And in reality, they, were, they, they started off very well. They had the right idea. Their goal was to be separated, to be different, to be set apart for God. Now, they weren't Levites, so they weren't like of the tribe that was intentionally set apart. But as individuals, they said, you know what? I want to be holy. I want to be righteous. I want to do what God wants me to do. That's a good idea, right? You should agree. That, that's something that we all ought to do. The problem was that they decided that they wanted to be more holy than anybody else. And so one of the things that they are well, well known for is this idea of building a fence around the law. So the law says don't do this. 
And they build a fence around the outside of that that says, well, in, in order to ensure we don't do this, you're not even allowed to do this. Which, for some individuals, that's okay. I'm not saying that it's a bad idea for us to, to do something like that. I like, do what? Okay. Um, what do you mean? Okay, okay, we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. It, it, it's not a bad thing to say, I like to use speeding as an example. If the speed limit is 55 miles per hour, it's not a bad idea for an individual to say, you know what, I don't want to speed, therefore I'm going to set my speedometer at 50 miles an hour or 52 miles an hour to make sure that I don't speed. That's fine, that's reasonable for you. But then to go around and say, well, everybody has to set your speed limit, speedometer at 52. In fact, the Bible says set your speedometer at 52. Well, no, it doesn't. You're not going to find it. Well, that's what the Pharisees did. They said that the Bible told them to do certain things that it didn't say. There was no example of it and there's no reason for it. And it's exactly what you were saying. So that they could be holier than thou so that they could have the predominance, so that they were the ones that everyone looked up to. And the reality was, in this setting, in this um, culture, they were looked upon favorably because they were trying to be holy. They were trying to do the right thing. And everybody looked up to them. But Jesus, as, as we go through, is going to call them out and say that they are hypocrites. That yes, they say these things, but you know, let's go with the example of the speeding. If I say... Everybody is required to set their speedometer at 52 miles an hour. And then I'm really in a rush, and I'm a little bit late for a, an appointment, and I, and I set my speedometer at 60 miles an hour. What did I just do? I'm a hypocrite. Well, that's what these guys were doing. And, and they were doing these things just for the sake of attention, drawing it to themselves so that others would look at them as being very pious and very influential. And so Jesus looks right through that. Now, here's, here's the thing. With this interaction that we, we end up finding is that Jesus' heart and his attitude is displayed. That Jesus is walking along the seaside and he sees Levi, someone who's rejected by society, someone who is a sinner, is not doing what he's supposed to be doing. There's no question, there's no doubt, there's no argument about that. And, and if he was a Levite who was supposed to be set apart, as special for God, and he was associating in such a way with the Romans, he had basically said, you know what, I don't care anything about religion, I don't care anything about God, I'm going to do my own thing. That's, that's what this sinners do, that's what these tax collectors tended to do. And Jesus says, I want you to follow me. And his life is radically changed, because he accepts Christ. And he begins to follow, and he calls all of his friends and says, hey, this is what just happened in my life. You need the same thing. You need to meet Jesus. And he gives them an opportunity. And so Jesus sits down at a meal and interacts with them and shares with them and they begin to follow him. And the scribes and the Pharisees are shocked that Jesus would want someone who had rejected God and gone away from religion and wasn't doing anything right would actually begin to do the right thing. How dare he? What could he possibly be thinking? Why in the world would he sit down and, and eat and drink with these tax gatherers and sinners? And Jesus responds, Who needs the doctor? The one who is sick, not the one who's healthy. Who needs the gospel? Who needs the message of salvation? Who needs to know about the opportunity of forgiveness for sins? Not the one who's righteous, whether that's self-righteous or actually righteous, but the one who is a sinner, who knows their state. And obviously, Levi and his friends recognized that they were sinners, separated from God, in need of a Savior. And that's exactly who Christ was, exactly why Christ was there, and exactly what he did. Well, <clears throat> the next section kind of continues this same question, same issue, and same thing that's going on. Um, at verse, between verse 17 and verse 18, there's not the normal 
transition that Mark tends to use, where he says, you know, this is happening, and then we get into a new setting. So it looks like this is, is connected, a follow-up question or a similar thing. It's possible that it took place at a different time, but it looks like it, it flows through. And everybody else was in the middle of a fast. They, they weren't eating. They were doing a religious observance to not consume food. John's disciples, the Pharisees, were fasting. That's what verse 18 says. And they came to him, came to Jesus this time. Why are John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? Why do they fast? But your disciples do not fast. Now, like I said, this may be at the same banquet, same situation in which Everybody else is not eating and not drinking. And the Pharisees had just asked the question, well, why are you eating and drinking with sinners? Like, that's, that's the gotcha. That's going to get them. He's like, because they're sinners and they need a savior. Of course I'm going to eat with them and meet with them. Well, why aren't you observing the law the way that we do and observing the fast like you're supposed to? All the good religious people are observing the fast. The, the disciples of John are, the disciples of the Pharisees are, why aren't your disciples? It may be the same meal situation. Like I said, it could be at a different setting. It makes sense either way that it flows through with this. And so what is fasting? Just, just real briefly, what is a fast? Do what? Okay, giving up something. Something that's reasonable to have something that would be normal that you ought to do, but giving it up for a religious reason, for a, a specific purpose. All right? It's not just for my health or for you know, whatever, but it's because I want to take that time and, give it, and make it devoted to God. Now, I'm not going to go through and preach about fasting right now. That's, it's a good study. There's a lot in it. Um, it's worth digging into. Jesus never condemns them for fasting. He, he's not saying that that's not okay. But <clears throat> there was only one situation in the Old Testament where they were re required to fast, and that was associated with the Day of Atonement. Other than that, the fasts were voluntary. They were opportunities in which someone set aside some time as devoted and special where they wouldn't eat, where they wouldn't drink, and they would observe a fast. Um, typically, it was associated with sorrow, with affliction, with giving up of beneficial things for that purpose. That's why they were doing it. The Pharisees, in other places, we're actually going to find that they would fast multiple times per week and brag about it. And that was part of the issue with the Pharisees. Again, I'm holier than thou. I do fasting more than you do. But this doesn't seem to be one of those because John's disciples are doing it as well. And so... Maybe it's just a, a, you know, every Thursday they would have a fast. Maybe it's a, you know, we would have quarterly because that's how we do it. it it's, the specific one is not important other than we recognize that it's not the required one, the commanded one, because if it was, Jesus should have been observing it. But it wasn't the Day of Atonement, and so it wasn't the commanded time for fasting. It was another opportunity. And during this, we see... Um, Jesus and his disciples eating when the others don't. And so they're asking, well, why not? Why aren't you observing the law, meaning their instructions that add to the law? Why aren't you doing what we are doing, what we're supposed to be doing? Now, let's go back real quick and look at these different questions that have been asked. The very first one makes a lot of sense. It is reasonable to ask if someone is putting themselves in the position of God are you God? That, that's valid. And Jesus answered and said, well, yeah, actually I am. They didn't really respond too well to that. But the next one is, is kind of a little bit more questionable. You know, why are you doing this, eating with sinners? And it, it shows that they don't understand God's redemptive plan. They don't understand the heart of God, his desire for sinners to come to him. They just don't get it. I can, I can understand a little bit of them asking that question, but we're kind of on a downward slope from a reasonable question to a less reasonable. Then we get to this one, and it really comes down to why aren't you observing our laws and our commandments and putting them in the place of God and, and acting like they are what God said when they're not? And so we have just a, a fundamental misunderstanding of God's instructions, God's laws, God's requirements for people. 
And the Pharisees are, are asking this question of Jesus. Amazing thing is, Jesus answers them. He doesn't just blow them off. He doesn't disrespect them and just be like, oh, y- y'all are a bunch of idiots. Now, eventually, he's going to talk to them in a very harsh, rebuking way. But at this point, he doesn't. That's not what he's doing. Instead, he responds, and he, he gives a couple of um, examples. Sometimes they're called parables. I've used the phrase of a uh, uh, proverb. They're just, they're just kind of these pithy sayings to give a quote or an idea. And Jesus says to them in verse 19, While the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom do not fast. Do they? Think about that for a moment. When, when we're having a celebration, when there's a wedding ceremony going on, and it's time for the meal afterwards, is that the time to have a fast? Well, no, that doesn't make sense. That's the time to celebrate. That's the time to enjoy it. Well, why is Jesus there? What, what did he say, yes, to, to preach, uh, repent, and believe, but, but prior to that, what was it that he was announcing or letting be known? The kingdom of God is at hand, right? This is a moment of celebration. This is a time to rejoice. And when these attendants of the bridegroom... Now, this is one of those phrases that's a little bit weird. If you've got a different uh, translation, it may come out something to the effect of the children of the bride, bridal chamber. That, that's the, the specific phrase, but it means the attendants. It's like we, we refer to the groomsmen. He doesn't own them, but they are his men type of an idea. It's, it's a phrase that means those who are there. The ones who are closest to the groom, who are there to celebrate with him. It makes no sense that they would then have a fast, does it? Well, what Jesus is doing is setting it up and, and letting them know, hey, I'm the bridegroom. I am the one that they have been anticipating. And, and he's even pointing back to the Old Testament and saying, hey, I'm the fulfillment of all this stuff. This is a time to celebrate, not a time to fast. We should be rejoicing. And so he, he asks, do they, uh, they don't fast, do they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Now this is, is uh, an interesting phrase to me. I found it interesting that he's not saying that it's not what they choose to do. He's saying that they are incapable of it. He's, he's adding emphasis to the point it makes zero sense for them to fast in this situation. They're not even able. They don't have the power. They don't have the ability to do that is, is the word that's actually used twice in here. They don't have the, the capacity. They can't fast because it makes zero sense. But, verse 20, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in that day. See, I mentioned before that Jesus knows exactly who he's with. He knows exactly what he's doing. Here, he still knows exactly what's going on. He knows he's going to be taken away. That there will be a time in which he suffers and dies, and he won't be with his disciples anymore. And he's going to end up teaching them that and training them that and working with them eventually. But right here, we see just the first glimpse of he knows he's going to be taken away. And that's the time when it makes sense that they would fast. That's the time when it makes sense that they would be um, in affliction and in sorrow and that they would have some of these difficulties. But right now when he's here, there is no reason. There's no reason to fast, to give up, to to mourn. Instead, it is time to celebrate. Uh, Verse 20. But the day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in that day. He then gives two more examples. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the patch pulls away from it, and the new, the new from the old, and a worse tear results. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. Real quickly, both of these are setting up an example and giving a picture of things that they would know and understand to teach them something else, something bigger and broader. The old ways that the Pharisees had, the old ways of doing things, those were no longer going to, to be enough. 
They didn't make sense. They weren't fitting. Jesus is bringing something new. And so it doesn't make sense for him to do these old things. This idea of a fast, this idea of of these observances that were in place. They started off with a good reason, with a good purpose. It makes sense to avoid breaking the law, to be careful, to stay away from it. But it doesn't fit. It's not reasonable, it's not normal, it doesn't go with what Jesus is trying to do. And he's getting ready to usher in a new thing, a new covenant, a new guideline, a new way. And he's going to be teaching about those things in the chapters ahead as we get to those. But he's letting them know that the old way, that old stuff, I'm not trying to mesh in with that. I'm not trying to fit into the Pharisees' way of thinking or the scribes' way of thinking. I'm not trying to fit into their mold. I'm doing something different. And so in both of these, whether it's the, the new cloth and the old cloth, trying to met, meet those together, it results in terrible things if you try and mesh those. Or the wineskins, whether it's, it's putting the new wine into an old skin, the, the way that that worked, as it would ferment, it would just blow up. And then you lose everything. And so it doesn't make sense. It's not going to work. And so he's saying, those are not how I'm going to operate. That's not what I'm going to do. We are getting rid of the old, laying it aside, and he is going to implement something new. The old not being, I don't want you to, to think that I'm saying he's getting rid of the Old Testament. He's not. He's there to fulfill the law. He's there to fulfill the Old Testament. But he's getting rid of the Pharisees' old ways of doing things and ushering in a new way. And as we get into his teaching and his, in, his instructions about that, we're actually going to find that some of those are even more challenging, more difficult, because he recognizes it's not about the outward appearance and the outward things that they do. It's really about the heart. And is our heart aligned with God? Do we understand who God really is? And that's what leads to a lot of these interactions and challenges and issues between Jesus and the Pharisees is that they were focused on the outward man and had no clue, no understanding about who God really was or what he really intended. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of Jesus. Lord, help us to emulate him. Help us to be followers of his. Lord, it's so easy to get caught up in thinking about our way of doing things and our traditions and what we've learned and what we've known of the past that we neglect what your word says. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to study it, to love it, to learn from it, to be challenged by it, to be willing to be changed by what you show us, what you have told us in your word. Lord, thank you for the example of Christ. Help us to be good followers of his. Lord, thank you for the, the reason that Christ came and the fact that he gave his life as a ransom for us, that he was the perfect sacrifice. There's no other way that we could have salvation but through him. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to follow him well, to live in the new covenant, how you desire us to. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.